Danny J. And I'm Jill Coleman. Welcome to the Best Life Podcast. Here, we talk about everything from success, money, relationships, and entrepreneurship to productivity, honest communication, positive psychology, and how to cultivate an abundance mindset. Make money, travel the world, deepen your relationships, live full out. This is the best life. Welcome, besties. We are back with an interview. It's I know it's mostly usually only Danny and I, but you guys are sick of us, and we're bringing on some amazing guests recently. Uh, so we have Vanessa Marin and Xander Marin uh, for the podcast today. They have a book out called Sex Talks. It is a New York Times bestseller, and I am excited to have them on to talk all things sex. And uh, gosh, we have a lot. We have a lot to talk about, actually, don't we, Danny? Both oh, of us have so much. We have the most. So welcome, guys. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having us. We're really excited to be here today and get to chat with you guys. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Awesome. You guys, you guys have so such great and relatable content on social media. And so when I dug into the book and I was listening to the audiobook as well, first off, I love when authors read their own books because it just, I don't know, it just feels right. It feels like the right person <laughs> is saying it. But um, I, one thing about listening to you both is just how relatable you are even in this context and you wrote it in such a way that it's it feels like whatever shame you might have had around sex or whatever kind of ickiness or feelings, it just made it feel so light and easy. I go, oh, this, is, this doesn't need to be difficult. So I just wanted to give you a shout out for that because you just make a maybe weird touchy subject not weird at all. Thank you so much. That just means the world to us to hear that kind of feedback and to know that what we're trying to do, the mission that we're trying to accomplish is it's really being like heard and seen by people. So thank you. Yeah. So just kind of let's start at the beginning. I know there's always this like, tell us where you came from. But uh, for people who don't know, maybe we can do a little background of what got you into this kind of work to begin with and how did Xander get brought into the picture? So maybe yeah. just a few steps back before this book, how did you get into, how did you become authors on sex? <laughs> so we wrote a book called Sex Talks. The reason that I am a sex therapist is because of my version of the talk with my parents. Like I think so many people can relate to this. My experience was incredibly awkward. It was very uncomfortable and I had no clue at at the time, I was about 12 years old. I had no clue that sex therapy existed as a career, but that moment really stuck with me because I had so many questions about sex. I was very curious. I was hearing things from my friends and on the playground, and I was so struck in that moment by my parents' discomfort. So that idea of why is sex so hard to talk about? Why can't we just talk about it normally? It stuck with me, and eventually I realized, you know what? I think I got to make my career out of this. What That's so interesting. I feel like sometimes it goes the opposite way, right? Like if your parents are very like, I don't want to talk about that, then you kind of take on that. You did the opposite. You were like, actually, yeah. let's dig in here yeah. at 12 years old. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Thankfully, Vanessa had that opposite reaction. But, you know, getting back to what you were saying a little earlier, Danny, like I think so many people do have that reaction, you know, because it's totally normal. You have an awkward conversation. You can mm -hmm. sense the shame and embarrassment coming from your parents and so you take that with you and you go okay well like i want to be having sex but i don't want to talk about it because when i talk about it awkward things happen and you know so so the reality is is like you know we needed to write a book to help people realize there are non-awkward ways to talk about this in fact there are super fun ways to talk about this <laughs> so going back to the whole story like i became a sex therapist started creating this business i realized pretty early into my career that creating online guides and courses was was such a good fit for sex therapy because people could just download it in the privacy of their own homes. They could look at it whenever they wanted to. So I started building out all these online courses and I started asking Xander for help with all the back end side of the business. Can you help me like make a little Excel spreadsheet? Can you help me track expenses? And eventually he became like the business manager. So I was focusing on all the content. Xander was running everything behind the scenes. But I just had this little feeling as we were building this up that I wanted him to be able to talk about sex with me. So I kept asking him like, you know, hey, would you do an Instagram story with me? Can we talk about this kind of stuff? Like I think it would be – I think there's something about a married couple talking about – 
the ups and downs of their own sex life, what's working, what's not working for them. But Xander was pretty hesitant. I was hesitant. <laughs> I was hesitant at first for a couple of reasons. First of all, I felt a little awkward myself talking about our own sex life. Like, you know, I always thought it was super cool that Vanessa was a sex therapist. And when we first met that she wanted to be a sex therapist, you know, who doesn't want to tell all their guy friends like, oh, I'm dating a future sex therapist, yeah. right? <laughs> so I thought that was really cool. And it was cool to talk about like conceptually the stuff that she was learning, you know, the the stuff that she was working on. But it felt really scary to talk about our own stuff. You know, it, it was kind of confronting. Like, I don't I don't want to acknowledge that I'm not perfect at sex. Right. Mm -hmm. Like as a guy, I'm supposed to be really good at it. Right. So that was that was a, that was a little weird. I had to work through a lot of my own discomfort around that. And then on top of that, I just seen Vanessa go through all this schooling, all this training, mm. you know, passing these licensing exams. And I'm like, what do I have to offer? Like, you're the one with all the experience. I don't have any experience. No one wants to hear from me. But Vanessa fortunately convinced me, you know, by she she get me involved in like an Instagram story here or there. And I started to see, oh, when I just you know, she can she can give the expert advice and I can share, hey, this is how it works in our relationship. This is some of the challenges that have come up for me. This is how I'm dealing with it, that that perspective is so valuable for people. Because it's one thing to hear, you know, a tip from an expert and be like, oh, great. Well, they're the expert. But of course, they have to say that. But it's a whole other thing to hear it from like, this is how we do this every single day in our, in our relationship. Yeah. I can relate I can relate to this so much, Xander. I feel like Jill's the smart one in this relationship. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm just like, yeah, that's how my life was weird and I just had a different experience. <laughs> I have a, I have a quick question to like back up about awkward conversations. Uh Vanessa, conversation with your parents because you had that childhood experience. How did you bring up that you wanted to major in this in college and have this be your career? <laughs> Was that an awkward uh, conversation? Yeah. So I figured out, you know, when I was applying to college, I decided that I wanted to go to a school that had a human sexuality program. So I just came right out and told them. And they were very embarrassed at first. It was this very strange, like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> and I think they really blamed themselves of, oh, man, we must have really messed up that we didn't have the talk with you. And now you're going down doing this whole career path. So it was challenging for them. But it was really interesting because after the first first couple of years of college, they started to open up to me. I remember there was this one summer in particular, I flew back home for the summer, my dad picked me up at the airport. And we had a car ride where he was sharing some things about his sex life that I was like, what have I done, dad? I don't want to know this. Like, I don't want to plug my ears. Um, and so they've, yeah, they've just continued to get more and more comfortable. So it's been really cool that it's actually led to this family healing. So now we're at the point where my parents show up in our Instagram stories, like regularly. My dad does his like dad's sex tip of the day every once in a while. Like, so it's really cool to see how much more comfortable they've gotten and that it's just, yeah, our whole family is kind of in this together. Yeah. I mean, I think what we found, you know, just doing what we do on social is that you just need to give people an example of this is how you talk about it. Yeah. It feels uncomfortable sometimes. It's definitely going to feel uncomfortable the first time you do it, but here's how you do it. And people just need an example of that. And then after they see that a couple of times, they start getting more comfortable, just like your parents did. Yeah, the personal brand stuff is really interesting. So we talk a little bit about business because Danny does sort of what we do as well. And we talk about that like, so I mean, you sort of said it earlier, Xander, like it's easy to just be the expert, right? And sit there and be like, here's what you should do in your relationship. And I'm sure Vanessa seeing patients, it's easy for you to be like, just be the expert to like pull back the curtain and be like, hey, like, was that a conscious decision when you were like, okay, I'm a personal brand. I am going to talk about my own sex life that feels like, you know, a really kind of vulnerable, obviously it's in service, but it feels like a really vulnerable leap. And did you just be like, well, that's just part of the deal, but like, or because it would be easier to just be, you know, be the expert, give the advice. Leave it so at that. my training is in psychotherapy. I'm a licensed psychotherapist. And what I learned is to not share anything about myself with my clients. Like therapy is all about the client, right? And so when I first started building out this online business, it felt very strange to be showing up on social media. Like I was worried about, oh God, I hope none of my clients are following me or anything like that. But when I first created the social account, I had this idea of, I, you know, I need to be very professional and like, this is a top 
topic that people are embarrassed about. So let me talk about all my training and, and talk in this very professional, educational way. And our account sucked. Nobody followed us. I hated it. It was just not fun at all. And, and it took a lot of time for me to realize, you know what? If I'm not having fun with this, nobody else is going to want to and like participate in it. And I actually don't think that sex should be so serious. We all take it so seriously, but I think there's a lot of joy in finding like the fun, the laughter, the playfulness in it. And so that was around the time that I was also trying to convince Sander like, come on, you got to help me break out of my shell too. Like, let's talk about us together so that I don't feel so alone in it. But it, that was a huge turning point for for us from a business perspective and from a you know personal perspective. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that stuff all happened at the same time. Like I got involved and it was like, you know, by me being involved, it became easier to talk about what was going on with us because we were both able to talk about it together on social. And that was just that was a total turning point mm -hmm. in terms of growth of, you know, people, you know, wanting to listen and wanting, wanting to follow and, and be a part of this journey with us. But it was also a turning point for us of just like, yeah, of course, she and I talked about this stuff in the past, but talking about it more and more on social, it was like, oh, wow, like that we feel even more connected mm -hmm. than we have before, you know, like we we're more into each other than we ever have <laughs> have before. We're having more and better sex like this stuff really works. And, you know, ultimately <laughs> it was like that's why we had to write a book on talking about it. Right. Which is like sort of counterintuitive, right? I think I said this to you. I think I asked you this at uh, our mastermind center. I was like, so it's, so it's not sex tips. It's conversations about how to talk about sex, which is just like such a really cool angle. And then what you said to me, Xander, was actually when Vanessa and I started talking about sex in our own relationship, our sex got better. And obviously that's the whole point of the book. And you said this one thing in the book that I absolutely loved. It said, awkwardness is the price of admission for a smoke and hot sex life. Why mm -hmm. is, why are these conversations hard? Like, I mean, we, we can obviously bring in like religion and like these weird, like, you know, sort of, but like, why are these conversations so high stakes all the time? Why is there so much shame and so much awkwardness around these conversations? Well, one piece of it does trace back to our experiences. For most of us, that first time that we've ever talked about sex was that horribly awkward experience with our parents that I just mentioned earlier. And we really absorb that shame in that moment. You know, we can feel how uncomfortable and embarrassed our parents are, and we take that on. But as we grow into adults, we just don't have any examples of talking about sex. So if you look, think about every sex scene that you've ever seen in the movies, on TV, you never see characters talking to each other. And I, it creates this belief within us that we shouldn't have to. If I've found my person, if the chemistry is really right between the two of us, we shouldn't have to talk about it. And if we do have to talk about it, that is a bad thing. So it just makes all of us feel so uncomfortable with the topic of sex. Mm -hmm. It's so, it's so true. And so I guess that is, um, why is it also scary to talk about it with the person that you're the closest to, right? Like, I mean, I could sit here and talk to Danny about, oh yeah, Keith wants me to do this thing in bed. And like, I don't know, like, and have like a very, like we could easily have a, like a girlfriend conversation about this, but then like bringing it up to your partner again feels, why is it, I mean, this is a person you love the most or the person you're closest to. Why is that at the hardest It's wild. I mean, for about. most people, they feel more comfortable just having the sex than actually talking about it. And like sex itself is an incredibly vulnerable and intimate thing to do with another person. So it's just wild that we struggle so much with this. And that's exactly why we decided to make the first conversation in Sex Talks acknowledgement, aka sex is a thing and we have it. <laughs> so literally just helping couples get comfortable acknowledging what they do together and, and talking about sex, just having it be a normal topic of conversation. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, just, you know, going back to that original question, Jill, like, you know, another reason is that, you know, we, you know, it's, uh, you've been in a relationship for however long it's been. And if you haven't been talking about it regularly, then, you know, you have no basis for sex being a safe or normal or regular topic of conversation, right? Mm -hmm. And so then if you think about, okay, there's something about sex that I want to ask for, I want to say, the stakes are immediately going to feel really high, right? Because you're like, okay, we never talk about this. So 
let me think about all the ways that this could go wrong. You know, we've never talked about it before. So if I ask for this, my partners, maybe they're going to misinterpret it. They're going to think that I'm saying they're doing something wrong. And so, of course, without talking about it, it means that if you do talk about it, the stakes become so high, like the tension has built up so high versus, you know, imagine instead that you're in a relationship where you just kind of talk and flirt and joke about sex all the time. Think about how much easier it would be to, to ask a more serious question around sex because it's a normal conversation. Well, a lot of our audience has probably heard about the five love languages. And so we know that maybe there's different ways to communicate with people. And so sex has its own kind of, we have our own kind of templates, right? And you guys talk about there's two two things that I wanted you to share those two, the responsive um, types and of- spontaneous. Yes. Can you share those a little bit so our audience can kind of hear what that is? Because that was a little bit of a light bulb for me. This is game-changing information. We're so passionate <laughs> about sharing it because most people don't know. So low sex drive is the number one complaint that we hear from people. Why do I never want sex? And most people don't realize that there are actually two different sex drive types. And what they boil down to is where you feel desire first in your head or in your body. So going back to all those sex scenes that we've seen countless times, you're seeing spontaneous sex drive, which is where you get turned on in your head first and then your body follows. It just comes to you out of nowhere. Yeah. You look at your partner and all of a sudden, boom, it's on. Yeah, it's like in your your head is thinking, oh, sex sounds fun. I want to go have sex. And then you go find your partner, you start to be intimate and your body starts to you know get turned on and, and respond. The second sex drive type is called responsive sex drive, and that is the complete opposite of spontaneous. Our bodies need to get turned on first before the idea of sex sounds good. So a classic way to know that you might be a responsive sex drive type is if you've ever been in the middle of sex or maybe even at the end of sex and thought to yourself, huh, this is really fun. Why don't I ever want this more? <laughs> yeah. Or like, I should, yeah, like, oh, we, we should do this tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes and- Later today. Uh-huh. Right. So what's happening for you is your body just needs time to get turned on, to get excited, get stimulated before your brain is going to think like, ooh, this is fun. I like this. Let's keep going. So if you catch a responsive person in a random moment and say, hey, do you want to have sex right now or are you turned on right now? They are almost always going (laughs) to tell you no because their body hasn't been stimulated. Yeah, because actually, do you want to have sex right now is the wrong question to be asking because almost certainly the answer is. No, they don't because their body (laughs) has nothing to respond to yet. So we talk in the book about other ways to kind of identify which type you are and understanding that if you are a responsive sex drive type, there's a different way that you need to approach sex so that you can give your body that opportunity to get turned on first and then your brain start to follow along after that. Yeah, so, that was that's definitely an awesome thing to just know about yourself. And um, then obviously in the book, you guys go into like several of the tips on like how to, okay, if you're, so when someone says, I'm just horny right now, is that spontaneous? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you're just horny and you've had no physical stimulation, that's a spontaneous sex drive. Your brain is excited by the idea of it. And so there there have been some studies on the gender breakdown in this, and they've only done it with men and women, but no big surprise here, more women tend to be in the responsive camp. And so there are so many of us women who are walking around just feeling like something is horribly wrong with us, broken with us. Why do I never want sex? I've mismatched sex drives in my relationship. But the reality is you just don't understand what your type is. Nothing is wrong with you. Nothing is broken with you. You just don't have this information. Yeah. And and both both parties in a couple typically assume that they should be spontaneous. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's a level of judgment going on probably, you know, between both people thinking this is how it should work. If it's working that way for one person, it's easy to identify the other person as having a problem. Mm-hmm. But the, there's no problem. It's you, Everything is working exactly yeah. as intended. It's just that you need to both know what type you are and then how to, you know, how to address it or how to initiate it. And it feels like Hollywood is both couples are spontaneous all the time. So that's kind of your expectation. Why is sex in movies like one second long? You're like, wait, what? Like it's and they're like, they're both like, yeah, having orgasm at the same time. Jill, are you supposed to say it's longer? Uh oh. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, 
yeah. it's like three thrusts and then i'm like how is she how is she orgasming after three thrusts uh, <laughs> well you know it's a funny thing in movies like they usually show time passing in very short increments you know like there's oh the main character she's graduated from college and now she's doing her summer abroad and it's like a couple little here she's in italy and then there's a second she's in greece so it's like we understand i don't i know nothing about how movies are made i'm sure there's a concept of how you describe it but it's like we get that like oh yeah i just saw three months pass in 10 seconds but sex scenes are filmed that same way and often there are a lot of you know other reasons why they're trying to make it so short so they can get their correct rating or whatever but <laughs> our brains really struggle to apply that same logic with sex it's like oh that's how it should be we should just look at each other and we're both wildly horny and we're running into the bedroom and clothes are getting ripped off and yeah three seconds of intercourse later like both of us are orgasming <laughs> yeah well, i mean but even if we even if we maybe do understand like okay they did that in five seconds maybe it's really supposed to be five minutes or 10 minutes, there's still the problem of like yeah. simultaneous orgasm. Mm -hmm. Like that always, you know, that always happens. It's always so, the exact same moment. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you know, we're still getting the wrong idea of like, oh, well, like one intercourse, like penetration is supposed to be the thing that gets both, mm -hmm. both people there. And somehow magically, they're both supposed to get there at the same time. <laughs> That's wild. Can we talk a little bit about porn and how that... Cause it's, it's similar in a way, right? It's like the second, like someone gets touched, they're like moaning and I'm like, really? So yeah. like how, how has porn maybe influenced people's expectation of sex or what they believe sex should look like? You know, I, I think about Danny, I've talked about this before about like, especially the younger generation, especially for young males, like a lot of times that's maybe their first experience with sex and they're going, oh, it needs to be like this. And then apparently, you know, like in a lot of it's can be like violent and weird and like whatever. So what, how is that maybe, have you guys looked into that or talked about that at all? Yeah, porn is so challenging because unfortunately most of us receive our sex education from porn. It's like we don't get educated about what sex is supposed to look like, how to communicate about it. We just see what's in porn. And porn is meant to be entertainment. It's meant to be over the top. And and especially as time has gone on, porn has gotten more extreme to like capture people's attention more. But again, there's this like disconnect that happens when we're watching it. We don't really think, oh, this is an extreme version of sex. This is not what sex looks like for everybody or not everybody is going to like the things that I'm seeing in this movie. So when that's our only education and we're just copying what we're seeing in porn, I mean, that leads to so many problems. But one of my favorite things I've ever heard somebody say about porn, I can't remember who it is. I wish I could attribute it to somebody, but they're like trying to watch porn and learn how to have sex is like watching Fast and Furious and trying to learn how to drive from that. It's like, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. So I, what I really got from your book is it's a communication book disguised as a sex book. I really feel like there were so many great communication tools that span well beyond sex. And one of the things at the very beginning, um, that Xander said, and I this stood out to me because I go, fuck, I do this, was hiding requests and questions. So you gave the example, and actually, um, Vanessa, you gave this example of asking Xander, how much longer will you be working? And he's like, oh, he's answering the question, like maybe one or two hours. And I was like, I do this all the time to my boyfriend. Oh, yeah. But what you really mean is like, are you going to be done soon? Like, I want you to come in here with me or I want you to spend time with me instead of just saying the thing. And I've done this so many times. I <laughs> felt like such a dick. I go, oh my God, there's been so many times I've been in bed. And I'm like, hey, babe, when are you coming to bed? And I'm literally like, I'm dressed up, ready to go. And he's like, oh, I'm going to be here another hour. And I'm like, motherfucker. <laughs> so I love that you brought up this example. And how do we first, how do we even recognize? Because until I heard it, I didn't even realize that I was doing that. And I go, is that manipulation? Am I trying to manipulate him? But what are we really doing when we're hiding these requests and questions? <laughs> well, first of all, don't worry. Pretty much every communication tip in sex talks was learned because we did the exact opposite thing oh, yeah. and it went horribly. <laughs> so. Yeah, we, we made those mistakes. I'm sure I've, I've definitely had a lot of... Uh, had a lot of requests in questions for Vanessa too. <laughs> so I think in particular with this idea of asking questions that aren't really questions, I think for a lot of us women, we struggle with 
asking for what we want. We get so much crappy socialization around we're supposed to be caretakers and caregivers and care more about our partner's experience and make sure everybody else is okay. And so a lot of women, I mean, if you even ask the simple question of like, what do you want? A lot of us just feel like I I have no freaking clue. I don't even know what the options are. Like, it's such a hard question for us to answer. And so if we don't know what we want, how can we ask for it? But then it gets even worse. Like we're also socialized that we're not really supposed to have our own wants and needs. We're not supposed to ask for it because then we're too needy or too much. So it's this double whammy of not having that self-awareness and not feeling comfortable asking for things. So we end up doing it in these backhanded ways. And I don't think it's necessarily a direct manipulation. It's just this discomfort that we have around. It's so much harder to say, hey, I would really love to connect with you right now. Hey, I'd really love to have sex with you right now. It's a lot easier to be like, when are you going to be finished with that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and then it yeah. ends up being something that inadvertently ends up hurting both people, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you, you know, if if you ask that question of like, hey, when are you coming to bed? And and he answers truthfully, like, oh, well, I was planning to be another hour or whatever. You're probably thinking, oh, God, like he must not really want to have sex with me, even though there was never any mention of sex. He has no idea mm -hmm. that he that he is like implicitly beckoned. Yeah, he has no <laughs> yeah. idea that he's being beckoned or that he's implicitly <laughs> turning it down by saying, one more hour. So you come away feeling disconnected. He comes away feeling confused when he, you know, sees you upset in the morning or yeah. whatever it is. And it's just, yeah, it ends up just being a lose-lose for everybody. Oh yeah. You feel like I feel rejected and like there was mm -hmm. nothing for him to reject except reading my mind. Right. So. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and then you probably feel less inclined to initiate sex another time because you're like, well, I just got rejected. <laughs> Even, even though <laughs> you, you rejected yourself, actually. No, it's so true. And you guys talk about that rejection and initiation. So can you kind of share more about initiation and why it's so hard to initiate? And then there's the initiation styles. Yeah, initiation is such an interesting topic. We really found that as couples get longer into their relationships, they struggle with initiation more and more. And it is a very vulnerable act to put yourself out there, to ask your partner for intimacy. It's absolutely vulnerable. And this, I think as soon as we start getting turned down by our partner, whatever period that is in the relationship where that starts to happen, it, we really internalize that. We feel rejected ourselves. It's not just that, oh, my partner wasn't interested in being intimate in that moment. Like we really internalize it and think something was wrong with us and we start retreating and not wanting to put ourselves out there as much. So a lot of couples in long-term relationships, they're at this point now where nobody's actually initiating. It's like you're trying to give your partner the look, but they're looking <laughs> up what you're doing down. You're trying to like hug them a little bit longer and they're like, okay, I'm done with this hug. Or like you do it through some jokes so that you have some plausible deniability of like, oh, well, I was just joking. I wasn't, I wouldn't actually yeah. be initiated. <laughs> now that would be crazy. And of course, the problem with that is that initiation should feel like an invitation. It should be something we're excited to say yes to. So if you think about, you know, let's say you guys want to have a friend date with each other. And if Jill calls you up and she's like, hey, I guess we should probably hang out with each other, right? It's like, it's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah. You're not going to get excited about that. But if she, if she calls you and she's like, hey, do you want to grab drinks? There's this new place around the corner. And then maybe we go to dinner after that. You know, if she has some excitement about it, if there's a specific plan, she's putting herself out there, like then you're going to want to say yes more. And it's the same way with sex. Nobody gets excited to be intimate if your partner is coming at you in this really lackluster way or you can't even tell that they're inviting you to be intimate. I don't mind initiating just so long as they're ready all the time. Like, <laughs> so I'm just kidding, but this is, this is what's hard, right? So like initiating doesn't feel really hard. The rejection, mm -hmm. it, the potential for rejection, right? It feels yeah. really hard. Just like you said, like the longer you're in a relationship, right? You're like, life happens, like stuff gets in the way. I mean, we have a dog and like, I can't tell you how many times like the dog's been in the way. Like, I've, so there's, so how do you handle then rejection when you have that? The person's like, ah, oh, I'm too tired you know, without yeah. just being like, I'm the worst person. 
This is a perfect example of why it's so important to talk about sex and have these conversations. So with rejection, one of the things that you want to talk about is how do we turn each other down gently? Mm. So recognizing we're different people. Mm -hmm. It is very rare that we are both going to be super turned on and ready to go in the exact same moment. So let's come up with a game plan for if one person initiates and the other person's really not in the mood, what can we do to like make that moment feel a little bit gentler? So one thing that I really love suggesting to couples is if you're not open to having sex, whatever that means to you, can you propose some different sort of activity that you guys can do instead? Because a lot of times what happens is, let's say Xander initiates with me, I'm not wildly magically horny in that moment. A lot of times like it might be like, oh, no. And I feel so uncomfortable saying no that it ends up being a pretty harsh no, and then things get awkward between us, and we're like, going to retreat yeah, to our separate like, sides of the house. Maybe I should go watch TV in the other room now. <laughs> yeah. So instead, you know, if if your partner initiates with you, if you could say something like, you know, I'm not really feeling open to sex right now, but maybe could we just cuddle on the couch for a little bit? Or could we have a makeout session? Or even like, huh, could you start maybe massaging my back for a while? And then I can see at that point my responsive sex drive might kick in. So you're proposing something different so the two of you can still experience connection. Because at the end of the day, yes, sex is a physical activity that we do with our bodies. It feels good. But in relationships, when we want to have sex with our partner, we're wanting to experience connection with them. We want to feel close to them. Yeah. And and if you're really like not open to any form of intimacy for whatever reason, because there can often be something like, let's say, you know, you have a headache, you have a stomach ache, you're about to fall asleep or whatever it is. What we what we like to say is, um, you know, instead of just saying what it is like, oh, I have a headache, it's tying in like, what is that thing that's blocking you? And how is it blocking you from showing up with your partner in the way that you would mm -hmm. like to? Because that can help your partner feel like, oh, it's really it's one, like they're not making just an excuse. Like, oh, I have a headache. I have like a headache. Classic Heard excuse. that one before. <laughs> but also it helps separate like, oh, this isn't about me. So you, what you could say, for example, hey, you know what? I have a really bad headache. I've been working all day. It started hurting an hour ago. And I know that that headache is really going to prevent me from showing up in the way that I really like to when we have sex. And, you know, so it wouldn't, I wouldn't really be there. And I don't think that would be fair to you. So that helps your partner realize, oh, like they, they enjoy having sex with me. They, you know, they want to have sex with me. They want to be there mm -hmm. with me and they're not able to be there right now. So that, that can be another really helpful thing to kind of separate the two. Cause otherwise what we just hear is like, no. And then we assume, oh, there's like, mm. it must be about me or like they wrote attractive anymore. We lost the spark. Yeah. <laughs> I love that you give an out because I've seen a particular like couple on Instagram who says they have this marriage rule that they never will say no or reject each other. And I feel like that isn't necessarily the health healthiest thing, especially in the case of maybe you're just really not feeling well. And then the other person is like humping a dead log, you know, I don't know, it doesn't seem <laughs> enjoyable. But I, I also have a friend who I feel like, uh, for lack of a better term, does defensive fucking. So she's worried if she says no, then her partner's going to find it elsewhere. And I think that's a real fear for a lot of women. So do you have anything to say to something like along those lines? If you are engaging in defensive fucking or whatever it is that you want to call it, you are destroying your relationship with your body, your sex drive, and your sexuality. Like at the end of the day, yes, I care about Xander. His needs are important to me. He's important to me. But I have no obligation to do something with my body that I don't want to do just to make him happy. Also, I don't want to be having sex with someone that mm -hmm. doesn't want to be having sex with me. And I think the vast majority of people out there whatever gender would would feel the same way about that but you know if but often you know no one has that conversation if you're engaging in defensive fucking it's not like it's not like you've had an open conversation about it and like hey i you know most of the time i don't actually want to do this but i'm just gonna you know throw yeah. throw myself on the sword for you yeah. <laughs> it's just so important to us to help couples understand sex is 
always a choice. We always get to decide what feels right for us and our body. And, you know, if you're forcing yourself to have sex, it's there's no way that you're going to still hold on to your desire for it. Like, why would you crave something that feels like it's not about me? I don't have a choice in it. I have to do it. Like, there's just no way that you're going to crave it. So, I mean, I think – I do think there is a place for – being willing to have some form of sex that's a little bit more about your partner than it is for yourself. Like there are some days where I'm like, you know, I'm not really super in the mood for anything for myself, but I feel genuinely good keeping you company or making out with you, you know, whatever it is. So there, there can be that. But if you feel like you're pushing yourself to do it when you really don't want to be doing it, that's just a recipe for disaster. Mm -hmm. And also with the defensive fucking as if like you can fuck them enough times that it's going to prevent like, you know, what I mean that it could even be that simple. Um, so have you we've heard this term and we, we actually heard this term recently uh, arousal template and I'm interested in because you said don't like, you know, never have to do anything you don't want to do. What if your partner like really has something that is a massive turn on for them like they're this is part of their arousal template. They don't need it every time, but they certainly it's, it's their thing. Right. And it maybe is just, it doesn't turn you on necessarily, but you like seeing them turned on. Like, how does this, I know in the book you said like, Hey, you never have to do anything in your relationship. We don't want to, or, but there might be a, like a little bit of a space for, let me try this thing. It's still not for me, but I'll, I'm willing to do it. Cause I like seeing my partner, yeah, you know, have what he needs or what she needs. This is one of the trickiest issues that comes into relationships. And I, I think it really comes down to that willingness aspect of it. Like, it, does it feel like something that I can genuinely engage in with my partner, genuinely give to my partner? So it gets us into this interesting question about boundaries. So we all have boundaries of things that we will and won't do in the bedroom. And I think boundaries are always worth us considering and kind of asking ourselves, where does that boundary come from? What is the discomfort that comes up for me? What is it that, you know, what is it that's making me say no to this? Because the reality is because all of us deal with so much sexual shame and embarrassment, a lot of times we have boundaries, we call them boundaries around things that are actually more about shame than they are about any true like values or safety-based reason why we would say no to something. So I think if we give ourselves the space to kind of consider, okay, why is it that I am feeling resistance to this or I don't like it? There may actually be a little bit of space for you to realize like, oh, I haven't been allowing myself to like that. Another piece of this too is playing with the specific desire that your partner has and seeing if there are pieces of it that you might be open to and other pieces that might still be in a, a hard no territory for you? Or is there a different like way that you could do it that you might be open to? So a lot of times we hear our partner say, hey, this is my fantasy or this is something I want to do. And we just think of it as just we have to do exactly that thing. But there might be different flavors mm -hmm. of it that we could try that we might be a little bit more open to. Yeah, I mean, like, I think one good example, and, and this could really apply in, uh, with a ton of fantasies, but let's say someone is, you know, really, really into the fantasy of having a threesome and their partner is not into that. And, you know, one option is you could do a lot of dirty talk about having a threesome without actually having one. You could, mm -hmm. you know, you could, per, you know, talk about what would it be like to be having sex with someone else in that moment when you guys are having sex. And that can be a great way to play around with that fantasy to, you know, to incorporate some elements of it without actually doing it all the way. And I think the other thing a lot of people realize about fantasies is that very often you'll be thinking about something. Once you start talking about it, if you start kind of dirty talking about it, you might realize, hey, that was super hot. But once I actually verbalized it, you know, maybe let's just keep it, you know, amongst us in the dirty talk. It's not actually something that I want to act out in real life. Mm. Yeah, that's so interesting. I because this arousal template is really interesting because it feels like you can never have the exact same one as your partner. So how do you sort of like work around that stuff? And I don't know, are you obviously you're you're familiar with Esther Perel's work and I'm interested in this obviously Vanessa because you're a licensed marriage and family therapist too. So uh, I don't you guys probably don't know, but Danny and I the reason why we started this podcast was both of us were married for 10 years. 
both of our husbands had affairs. We found out like about a year apart, both of us ended up leaving the marriages. We ended up coming to LA um, and sort of like bonding over this thing. And we worked through all of that. And a couple of years later, we started this podcast and we actually started with the affair stories. And so we were very open about that. We actually have a lot of people in our audience who have gone through infidelity and things like that. How do you like the, the idea behind one person being able to be both things for you, right? So this would be in a monogamous relationship. Can someone be in a relationship and they can be your safety, your certainty, your security blanket, and also be this like super hot smoking, you know, like I want to fuck your brains out, like just wild fantasy mm -hmm. at the same time. Is it possible yeah, or are we all just doomed? Yeah, this is some of Esther Perel's just most important work. I think she's really brilliant. But this idea that we lean on our partners to be everything to us in a way that we never have before in history. You know, I love how she tracks like what marriage was like in different periods of history. And it is an unbelievable amount of pressure to put on one person to be like, and, and it's not even just like both things. It's like, I want you to be my best friend and I want you to be my lover and I want you to be super secure and trustworthy and I want you to be wildly unpredictable and sexy. It's like <laughs> all the things that it is an awful lot of pressure and there is no super easy way out of that. I mean, I think she she does talk a bit about having alone time, pursuing different interests, you know, trying to keep a little bit of distance between the two of you instead of merging into one person as so many of our like songs. Well, you guys do it too, like as, you know, business owners, right? You guys are yeah. working together or is there a time at which during the day you're like, okay, you got to put the wife and husband hat and like, you know, yeah. leave the work behind. Like, did you guys have to work through that personally to figure out like what lane are we in? Oh, yeah. Oh, We've yeah. done a lot of work on <laughs> what it's like to, to work together as a partnership. As yeah, well. we, we used to I mean, we used to get into a lot of fights or disagreements because it would be unclear. Were we trying to have a coworker conversation or a husband wife conversation? And ultimately, what we really started to realize was that, like, if I have a question for Vanessa and it's not clearly a work or personal one, like I need to say, hey, I'm looking to talk to my coworker. I'm looking to talk to my wife so that she knows how to respond. And, you know, and like we're communicating in the right way. Mm -hmm. I love that. I'm actually, I work with my boyfriend a lot and we recently, <laughs> we triangulated this relationship where he has an assistant and I kept nagging him to get things done. And so now I message the assistant. So she nags him. So if there's things to get done, she just messages him all the time. And it, it frees my brain because I'm not thinking about it anymore. And I know she'll just yep. bug him every single day. And it's yep. <laughs> really helped a lot just to have that other person. So I'm like, I'm not nagging you because I don't want to be your coworker. Uh -huh. I, and it just, it's helped a lot. So I like that you're like, okay, who am I talking to right now? That's another great way to do it. Yeah, we did the same. We hired an integrator. We're like, okay, you you manage us. <laughs> you can yeah. manage us. So it does really help. We actually we even had a uh, a coach that we worked with for a little while back in the day, where he and his wife worked together, and they did they would do business planning sessions with a mediator. So they would book like a whole day with some random you know third person mediator, and like they would that person would help them navigate like okay, this is what we're gonna do, and these are the challenges facing the business and all that. And I was like, that's kind of brilliant. <laughs> that is because you guys like will go to dinner or something, right? Like, are you like okay, we talk at work? Do you guys have boundaries around that stuff or? Honestly, we don't. I mean, we both get so excited about our business that oftentimes, you know, over dinner, it's like we're, we're genuinely excited. So we just try to draw a boundary if it's we don't want to talk about anything that feels really tough or heavy when we're trying to have couple mm -hmm. time. But if it's like, you know, oh, we're just super excited about this project or like, oh, the book's doing so well, like we'll talk about that kind of stuff. I think we're we're at the point now where we both feel really comfortable. You know, it, say we're on a date and, you know, if Vanessa is talking business and I'm like, oh, I'm really not feeling that I feel comfortable now saying, Hey, you know what? Like, let's like, let's save that till Monday or something like that. I think earlier when we, in our working relationship together, that was, that was a bit more challenging because, you know, it was like Vanessa's business and I was just, you know, helping out a little bit here and there. And so, you know, I didn't have as much kind of ownership in the business. And so I didn't feel as comfortable being like, oh no, like, I don't really want to talk about that <laughs> right now. So, you know, I think for anyone who's starting to work together, like, yeah, you, 
would be definitely great to have a conversation about those boundaries and like, do you want to set clear boundaries? Do you want to set the expectation that you're each allowed to kind of veto yeah. a work conversation when you're outside of the workplace? Because yeah, I, I I don't I don't want to tell people like, no, you're not allowed to talk about work mm -hmm. outside. Like if you're doing something you're super passionate about and you're happy talking about that, like great, have at it, talk about it. I and mean, we do we do all the time, but you know we also talk about a lot of personal stuff too. <laughs> Yeah, Do speaking of uh, going to dinner, can we talk about fuck first for the audience? Yes, one of our favorite rules. So that all credit for that goes to Dan Savage. We stole it from him. We love it so much. But the idea behind fuck first is to have sex before going out to dinner or a big event or anything like that. So Dan Savage laid it out, like said, you know, when you've been eating a lot, maybe you're drinking, you know, you get home at the end of the night, you're full, you're gassy, you're bloated, like nobody wants to have sex in those circumstances. Yeah, and you're exhausted. Yeah. And so we sort of, we love that rule so much. It was so practical. We do it all the time now. But we, we've been playing with ways to expand that because one of the biggest challenges for couples is we tend to save sex for the end of the night. We're crawling into bed. We're exhausted. You're doing that math of like, if I fall asleep in this instant, this is how many <laughs> hours of sleep I could get. And that is such a hard time to get excited about having sex. So for us, fuck first has become more of like a lifestyle. <laughs> like, can we prioritize having sex earlier in the day? And obviously, this is different for every couple with their schedule and their responsibilities. But this idea of, you know, sex is important to us. Mm -hmm. Let's do it when we have energy for it. Dude, it's so good. My my boyfriend is a um he works 24-hour shifts, which is actually really nice because it's like super built in, like sort of like, you know, away time. So when he gets home in the morning, like that's my favorite time. I'm like, I haven't seen you for a day or two. Like, yeah, the earlier mm -hmm. the better. I'm on board with that. Yeah. <laughs> uh I really love it. So <laughs> besides the fuck first, uh tip, what other kind of tips do you have to maybe like start this conversation with your partner? Like maybe you've got, you mentioned dry spells a lot and you said there's a lot of dry spells. So let's say somebody's in a dry spell and they're like, I need to get back on board with this, but I don't even know how to start bringing it up. So in sex talks, we lay out the five sex talks that we think every couple will benefit from. And we were very intentional about picking acknowledgement, aka sex is a thing. We have it as that first one because we know how uncomfortable people are talking about sex, how little experience most people have. So if I've never talked about sex with Xander, we're in a long dry spell. And the very first time that I initiate sex with him is like, hey, why are we in this long dry spell? Why do you never want to have sex with me? Like that is just going to be a disaster. <laughs> so instead, we want you to kind of back up a few paces and start just getting comfortable with sex as a topic of conversation. So the super practical thing that you can do here is think about one of your favorite sexual memories with your partner. And then your little homework assignment after you listen to this podcast is to go share it with your partner. So all you have to do is literally just like hey, you know what randomly popped into my head the other day? I was just thinking about that time that we went on that trip to, you know, so-and-so, and we did so-and-so, and then just leave it there. So you're not using that to initiate sex. You're not going to make any requests, no complaints. You're just sharing that memory. Yeah, and if you're in, the dry, if you're in a dry spell, I know how easy it is to think, I don't want to acknowledge the elephant in the room, which is that we are in a dry spell, right? But the reality is, you're not fooling anybody. Like everybody boat, knows, everybody what's knows what's going mm. on. It's been a while. I think it's so easy for us to be like, well, if it's not there, it can't hurt me. If I can't see it, it's not there. But it is there, and and that acknowledgement is so important. And it's not about It's not about being like, oh my god, it's been so long. We're mm -hmm. both horrible people. It's like. No, like let's, we can still talk about sex. We can still talk about intimacy. We can still talk about the way that we feel when we have sex. We can, you know, we can make it us against the dry spell. Hey, I know it's been really challenging, but you know, we, I know how fun it is when we are in a good spot with our sex life and, you know, like let's focus on the positive stuff. One of the things that made me feel better about listening to the dry spell was you guys talked about stress being a big killer of libido. And mm -hmm. I think that I think you even said it's probably maybe I'm wrong, Vanessa, but like the number one thing that you see that kills libido in your practice. Oh, yeah. So 
Are there like stress tips that you suggest to people or hormone tests or is like hormones a big piece or stress and hormones connected? Like where do you find that in as far as like percentage of people having issues in their dry spells? Yeah, stress absolutely is the number one killer. And obviously stress and hormones are related, but most people think that hormones are like the solution if you have low sex drive. It's just a very small piece of the puzzle. But what's important to understand about stress is that our body has developed really incredible mechanisms for dealing with stress. So if we think back to our caveman ancestors, the moments that they were experiencing stress, like, oh, there's a woolly mammoth charging at me your body is going to shut down all functions other than the ones that you need for survival. Let me just focus on running really fast in the opposite (laughs) direction. Your sex drive is one of the top things that are going to get chopped in yeah. the moment. First one to go. Yeah. No, no cavemen with raging boners. Yeah. No, running, no running with a, <laughs> running with a boner. <laughs> so stress shuts down our libidos entirely. Obviously, stress is a huge topic. It's not as simple as like, well, just stop being stressed. Just right. Like, wake up tomorrow. It's not a meme. Don't be stressed anymore. But I think it is a really great first step for people to recognize that stress is having a big impact on their libido. So many of us have just been so used to living high stress lifestyles that we just think that's how it is. And I think sometimes realizing, ooh, no, it's not just that I'm like cranky and I feel like I'm constantly doing stuff. Like I also have no libido. Sometimes that can be the motivator to actually take a look at, okay, what is it that's causing me stress? What options do I have for managing this a bit better? Yeah, it's such a massive piece of it sometimes. And you're just like, yeah. And, and to your point, like you don't, that your sex drive is maybe the thing that gets you to go get your hormones tested and figure it out. And that's men and women, right? I think we we expect, and maybe Xander can speak to this, like we sort of expect in our culture, I feel like, and I think I'm probably even guilty of this too, is like, hey, the second I want to have sex, the man's supposed to be ready, right? And like, and that's sort of what we, and I, I obviously I'm not a man, so I don't understand, but like, I'm sure there's like shame around that. If it's not like working like perfectly super hard every time, like the second, you know, Vanessa t- touches you, how can maybe, and most of our listeners are women, how can women maybe understand this better from your perspective in heterosexual or same sex? Yeah. Yeah. No, this is, this is a hundred percent a thing, you know, like the, the way that we men are socialized, the way that we see our roles in sex, you know, from TV and in the movies is we're supposed to know what we're doing. We're supposed to be in charge. We're supposed to initiate everything. And of course that means that our bodies need to function a hundred percent properly, you know, like no, no imperfections. Right. And so, you know, it can feel, you know, if you feel like you're supposed to know what you're doing and you're supposed to be in charge and everything's supposed to work, like the moment that something isn't working the way that you want it to, you start to feel like, well, now I'm like, I'm the one that is making it so that we can't have sex. And we get this, you know, kind of like, we feel like we are the problem mm. and that can bring up a lot of shame and embarrassment. I know for me, you know, I I used to really think like god if I have any kind of performance issue, then like I'm I'm basically the one that's stopping us from having sex and what I didn't realize is that there's actually so many other options that are available on the table that don't require an erection. And so while I was there getting in my head going like, oh my God, if I can't get hard, then we can't have sex. And you know, if instead of that, I was thinking, okay, cool, I'm not hard right now. Like, let's do something else that's gonna be really fun for Vanessa. You know, it's like when you do things that actually make your partner feel good and you see them enjoying themselves, you're so much more likely (laughs) to forget about your own anxieties and actually start to perform again. Well, this was one of the most interesting conversations that we've had personally. You know, Xander and I started talking about gender expectations around sex. And like, of course, I kind of knew in the back of my head, yeah, men get socialized to all this BS that they think they're supposed to be. But hearing Xander describe that to me and like, oh no, like that's really how I feel. Like I'm supposed to always be the initiator, always be ready to go, always have this perfect performance. Like it really, it brought up so much compassion for me. And I was able to share with him, I was like, that's not what I want. Like I don't need you to be this absolutely perfect 
you know, human being in every single moment. And like, especially in times where maybe you're not feeling desire or it's just taking slightly longer than that exact instant to feel desire. Like, that's not a failure to me. So as a woman, you know, not getting that same socialization that he received, it was just so powerful to recognize like, wow, you've been taught some shit, man. And oh, like, yeah. that's really getting in the way. And I mean, for me, like it would, it would come out in weird, in, in weird ways too. So like just here, here's a random example. Like if we were having, this is, you know, back before we had ever talked about this, when I was still internalizing all this stuff, like if we were having sex and I didn't feel like I had the the most rock hard erection and Vanessa suggested like changing positions to something where like it might take a second to get into that position. I just be like, hell no, because I don't trust that I can keep my erection. And it's like, that's how much you get into your head. It's like, mm -hmm. you're like, I would find myself saying no to things that I really wanted to do, but I didn't trust my body to be able to do that. And so I think that, you know, like a, the reality is a lot of us are are saying no or like turning a lot of things down because we're we're sticking with what's familiar because we think it's going to work better for mm -hmm. us and it was once i was able to set that aside and be like oh okay it's it's not all about me i'm not solely responsible for getting this thing done like all it turns out all the anxieties went away i i never really think about that stuff anymore and it's just it's not really a problem anymore it's only a problem when we think it's a problem. Mm. I appreciate you so much for sharing that, Xander. And I feel like for a lot of men, it would be really vulnerable. One of the things you said in the book that literally blew my mind was while I can conceptually think about the not being hard part was the initiation. So you said you were taught that, you know, girls that wanted sex too much were kind of slutty. And so you try to be with girls who weren't initiating, even though you were more, you were attracted to some of the girls who were kind mm -hmm. of the initiators. And then if Vanessa would initiate too much, it would make you feel like you were failing because you weren't doing it and almost make you not want to have sex. And that blew my mind because I was thinking, if I'm initiating to my partner, like maybe that would turn them on like, oh, she wants me. And I go, wow, what if I was thinking that and it was actually making him feel emasculated and I thought this is a conversation I need to have. Like right now I need to have this conversation because I never considered, I, I wasn't uh, a boy growing up. So I didn't have this kind of conditioning and that wasn't even one that's ever been on my mind. Yeah. I mean that, yeah, it's, it's kind of a mind fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, like looking back at it, it, it is crazy when I look back at kind of the way that I used to operate and the way that I used to think. And it's like, yeah, like I, I love it when Vanessa initiates. I love it when I know that she wants me. And yet there was a long period of time where I wasn't able to examine what was going on for me, how I'd been taught this stuff, like what was going on with us, where I was like you know, I was, I was saying, no, I was closing myself off to the possibility of sex, to the possibility of connection, because I did not want to be confronted with the possibility that she wanted it in a moment when I didn't. And it's yeah, so that's, that's the okay. power of having these conversations too, is we were both operating in these really unhelpful ways with all this bullshit socialization. And we had a really shitty sex life at that period of time in our lives. Like it just, things were not working out for us. And so now being able to talk about sex, being able to realize like, oh, that's not what I want from you. Oh, society taught me all these stupid messages, but I don't have to listen to them. Like now there's so much more freedom in our sex life. That, like I can initiate and he gets mm -hmm. excited about it instead of feeling like he's failed as a man. Yeah. And the additional mind fuck is that women are socialized to think they're, re they're responsible for men's erections as well. Mm -hmm. So then oh, while yeah. Xander's feeling like I'm letting... Vanessa down. Vanessa's probably feeling like I'm letting, like it's my fault, right? Because oh, women yeah. take that on too. Absolutely. And, you know, my mind would go to some of the darkest places. And I'm sure so many women can relate to this. Like, I'm not attractive enough. I've gained weight. I looked like my body looked bad in that position. I smell weird. You know, like all kinds of stuff would come up for me. And realizing, once we started talking about this again, like realizing he's like, I've literally never had a moment like that where I've been thinking like, oh, her belly rolls are like pooching over and now I'm going to lose my erection because of that. So it's like we were 
having sex with each other in those moments, but we were just miles apart from each other. And so that's, again, like the joy of being able to talk about it is that you get to create this actual intimacy in the moment where you're actually, you're both there together, connecting with each other, having an experience with each other instead of both beating yourselves up privately in your own heads. Yeah, I mean, the crazy thing was that I, you know, I, I knew that you would that you would go to those dark places in those moments. So I would doubly beat myself up. I'd be mm -hmm. like, I feel emasculated. I feel anxious. And I know <laughs> that she wants to kill herself over here. Dramatic. Or yeah. no, I mean, that, or that like she's beating herself up about it too. And so I would just feel so stuck. So I'd be like, how can I describe what's going on in a way that's not going to make her feel bad about herself and in a way <laughs> where like, where I'm not like, feeling emasculated myself by describing it. And so really the only option that left me was trying to blame it on like external situations like, oh, well, I'm really tired or I'm really stressed. It was a long day or something like that. And so you're just kind of like skirting around the edges mm -hmm. of the issue. And it took so long before I was able to really confront it head on and just like, you know, <laughs> really get to the bottom of what was going on. I guess it would also be interesting to have those issues and your wife is a sex therapist. So you're like, now I'm supposed to <laughs> even <laughs> know more. Yeah. Another layer for you guys that the rest of us don't have is like, we're supposed to do this right and know how to do it. So <laughs> <laughs> an extra layer of shame. Well, I actually only have one more question. I don't know if Danny does, but um, you guys recently went viral on TikTok because you talked about this thing that you do, and I'm sure you've talked about this in every podcast, but I think this is really valuable for our audience. You guys make out every single night in bed. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it leads to sex at all, every time, sometimes, never. What are the rules? And because I think this is so interesting, and I think the response, and I'd love to know there are some of the responses you guys got from going, I can't imagine TikTok is a wild place. <laughs> Um, but can you tell us why you do this and some of the benefits and also, you know, maybe some of the, the reasons why people don't do this or, or mm -hmm. why it's beneficial? So we started to realize, you know, we've been together 15 years going on 16 at this point. And at a certain point in our relationship, we realized like, we don't really make out that much. We don't really like even touch each other that much. The physical contact that we have is primarily around sex. And we had started kind of creating this, this connection in our brains that like, oh, when we start touching each other, that's supposed to lead to sex. And I think we both just felt sad. Like, you know, the night that we met, we had a six hour long makeout session. All we did was make out. We were very young when we met. And it was like, it's very sad to realize like, gosh, we never do that anymore. We don't get that sense of like excitement over doing the simple stuff with each other. And so we decided to start doing this little nightly makeout session. So our our only rule is that we have to have some tongue contact. So some of the responses from TikTok have been like, that sounds exhausting. It's so much. And I'm like, on an average night, it's like 30 seconds of making out. Sometimes if we're really tired, it's like 10 seconds. If we're in a fight or hating each other, whatever it is, we skip it. We do not force ourselves to do yeah, it. Yeah, no one is actually <laughs> forcing anyone. There's been, there have been some like headlines and articles of like, this sex therapist forces her husband to make out with her. I'm like, well, okay, maybe you're taking that a little too far, but... So the idea was we were like, you know, we want to have physical contact with each other that's not just about sex. We want to be able to just like kiss each other and touch each other more. So it's been super fun for us to just mm -hmm. have this little moment. It feels like a special ritual that we have. Some nights it leads to sex. Some nights it does not lead to sex. Some nights we've already had sex. Yeah. <laughs> what I was going to say about that is, I mean, just – being super honest, I would say it very infrequently leads to sex. And that's because we fuck live first. the fuck first <laughs> lifestyle. <laughs> and so, yeah, we, to, you know, when we are going to have sex, we usually do it before we are getting into bed. Now, sometimes if we haven't had sex yet, we will start kissing and it will be enjoyable and we'll keep kissing. And then we will, but we will like ask each other, like, 
hey, like, do you want to do you want to continue? Mm -hmm. So but yeah, most of the time it doesn't because we engage in fuck first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Foreplay last. Really fun for us. And, and I think it's a great recommendation for any couple. It doesn't have to be making out. I, I've been surprised on TikTok how many people don't like making out. And I'm like, everybody can do different things. We all like different things with our bodies. But I'm like, there are a lot of people on TikTok mm -hmm. that just hate making out. So it doesn't have to wow. be making out. Maybe it's a cuddle. Maybe it's something else. But just some form of physical contact that's not just about sex. Uh, I really love that. I actually have asked my boyfriend a couple of times in the last year. I was like, can we just make out for a little while? I'm like, three minutes make out. And we'll just do it for three minutes. And it's it's fun. Set your timer. Well, this is yeah. also related to the, the bristle reaction, which I also <laughs> wanted to chat about just to get to, because I think I can identify with, I think my, my partner is the higher sex drive person. And so I can sometimes feel like I'm like, fuck, I have a coaching call in like 10 minutes and he's <laughs> like, he's, and he, you know, be like, he wants to like kiss for longer. And I'm like, fuck, like I'm not, you know, so Talk about what the bristle reaction is because when you, I felt totally fucking called out when I, when I read about that. <laughs> okay, but so this, I said a minute yeah. ago that like we had made that connection that like any sort of physical contact, like it was kind of supposed to lead to sex. That's where the bristle reaction can come in. If you don't have a lot of physical touch throughout the day and if you're not being clear with each other about when you're actually initiating, then it's very easy for like your partner to reach out and try to touch you and you feel your body bristle. So that's what the, you know, the bristle reaction is Which named is, for. you know, you're like, I know where this is going. Ain't no one got time for that right now. Yeah. And you feel your body actually recoil. And it's like, this is your partner that you love. And, and sometimes it is just innocent touch. Maybe they're just literally trying to give you a hug. That's it. But you're feeling yourself recoil because your brain is jumping ahead thinking, oh, if I let him kiss me, if I let him hug me, then he's going to expect sex. So our little makeout routine was one of the ways to like break the bristle reaction and, and make sure that we didn't have that reaction with each other. It's so good. Um, well, I, that's all I have. Dan, do you have anything else? No, that's all I, that's that all was amazing. I, I want to respect y'all's time and, uh, you guys make sure you go get this book. It absolutely blew our minds. It is called sex talks. Um, and it is a New York times bestseller and you guys, it is what, like 15 bucks, go get this thing. It is going to change your life. And it is also going to help you be a way better communicator and it might lead to more sexy time. Actually, um, I saw that you had John Gottman do the, uh, he gave you a little thing yeah. here and we both, Danny and I both done his eight dates with our partners oh, and we cool. did the sex date and it was amazing because you just like are in the, then all of a sudden you're like in the mood and then you're like, yeah, should we fuck now? Because we just talked about sex for like 30 minutes. <laughs> and so hoping for more of that. Thank you guys for being here. And uh, where can people find you, connect with you? Your Instagram is incredible. Tell people all the things. Thanks for having us. Yeah. yeah, so we would love to connect with your audience. You can find us on Instagram at Vanessa and Xander, and it's Xander with an X. We do stories every day. We have so much fun stuff there. So shoot us a DM. Let us know you found out about it through the podcast. And you can find the book at sextalksbook.com. You have there's all the links to the major retailers there. And if you come back to that page and enter your order information, we'll send you a free workbook that goes along with the book too. Hell yeah. Gifts and prizes. Do it. Yeah. Love it. And then Thank all of you our, all. Um, yeah, all of our guides and courses uh, are over at vmtherapy.com. So we, the book is all about communication, but we sell a ton of stuff about sexual technique. So if you want to learn how to mm. do a low job, your partner we do. never had, you want to learn how to up-level intercourse, we have all sorts of fun stuff over at vmtherapy.com. We want and, that. Do you have your own podcast yet? We, we do. do. Yeah, it's that's Pillow uh, Talks. the Pillow Talks podcast. You can get it anywhere podcasts are. It's just called Pillow Talks. Xander always says the Pillow Talks podcast. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Does the someone else have that one? Maybe. It is a podcast. I think there's like 10 <laughs> best lives at this point. That is appropriate. Yeah. Awesome. awesome. So we'll follow you on the podcast as well, the Pillow Talks podcast. This, yeah. is the yeah. best, this is the best life podcast. You could say podcast. It sounds more official that way. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, thank you so much for being on here. Love the book. Love your content. And we're excited to share you with our audience. Cool. Thank you. Guys thank so you so much, guys. Bye. Bye. We'll talk to you soon. Bye, guys. Bye.